Welcome to Commodity Conversations. It's Olivia Agar here with you today from Mercado's weekly wrap recap of the movements in ag markets. And I'm joined here today by Robert Herman to have a bit of a chat about livestock, grain and wool markets. But firstly, um, thank you to our sponsor for this week's podcast, which is Cleaver's Meats. Now we're well and truly into that time of year for warming um, or comfort food. I know my slow cooker's definitely been getting a workout at the moment. And Cleaver's meat products, like their organic beef chucks, are the perfect choice to make sure you're getting that tender and flavorful dish served up. And you know the quality is there as well because it's 100% grass-fed and organic certified. So thank you to Cleaver's Meats for supporting us this week. And I think we'll get underway with this week's market recap. So, Rob, why don't you kick off with wool today? A bit of a tough market I hear for wool this week. So what's been going on? Yes, it was a tough market, Liv, and um, it's been been battling away, as you would know, and uh, as our listeners would know, uh, the COVID impact on wool has been quite significant. Uh, it's it's dampened down um, processing capacity, so that was the first impact where mills were impacted. But then it's that demand, that retail demand, and and the um, you know all shops looking to try and find out where their demand is, where their customers are, and what they're doing, and that's pushing right back down along the chain. Um, the big issue, though, or one thing that came through this week was that uh, the problem with low-yielding wool. Now, in a, at a time when um, there's a lot of demand for wool, um, all sorts of wool gets sucked up and, uh, and processes uh, can handle it all, but when demand is low, then the orders tend to favour towards um, higher-quality wools and higher-yielding wool. And if you think about it, it's all about weight. So the, if you've got a lower-yielding wool, by the time you wash it up and process it, you, you end up with less fibre than you start with with a high-yielding wool. So that that was a problem. And, of course, remembering that we've just come off a big drought and um, the wool that's being sold now has been grown through the drought. So that drought effect has been to push the yields lower. There's more dust in the wool. Uh, the wool is, is not as well-grown. And, um, and that's a bit of a problem. So that weighed on the market this week, Liv. And is it normal that we'd see um, wool yields pretty low at this time of year or how does that work on a seasonal basis? Yes, that's right. Seasonally, it is a, this is a lower yielding time of the year because we've got you know, wool that's shorn just recently has gone through the summer period. But when you saw some of the photos of the drought-affected areas, especially through southern Queensland, New South Wales, uh, northern South Australia, in this last 12 months, you get a real feel for what the um, what the growing conditions were at that time. And uh, the sheep, not only were the sheep struggling um, with with lack of feed, but they the you know when they walked around, they were stirring up a lot of dust, and there was a lot of impurities getting into the wool. So so that really weighed on on. Um, on the yield figures that are coming through now. That will correct itself, but uh, it's like everything. It doesn't rain green grass and it doesn't rain low-yielding wool. It takes time for that to grow. So we've now got conditions in a lot of those areas where the wool will be quite high-yielding in the next shearing, but it'll take a couple of months for it to grow through. Yeah, of course. And so we would have seen an impact on on supply in the last week or so for that. Do you know what the bail numbers were for this week? Yes, yes, we only had um, 
Melbourne and Sydney selling, so Fremantle didn't sell, which is an indication of how low the supply is that, that Fremantle hasn't got enough demand to put on a sale. There was just over 14,000 bales sold in those two centres. Um, there was a, a reasonable amount of wool that was um, withdrawn by growers beforehand. Uh, they're taking a view that the market is not one that they want to be engaged in at the moment. And there was also you know, a reasonable pass-in rate. But the 14,000 bales for this week is just an extraordinary low number when you think back to uh, you know, what was happening in past decades. But anyway, I, look, let's talk about something perhaps a little bit more positive, Liv. Um, the cattle market. I know you were looking at that. What's 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 the backstory on that this week? Yeah, great week for for the cattle market. We had um, higher highs this week, so the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator hit a new record on Wednesday at seven hundred and seventy two cents per kilo, which was just a few cents above the last high which we saw back in March. But the interesting thing is that we're seeing sale yard cattle prices at these record levels, all while our export markets are falling. So, you know, grass on the ground and, and still that pretty decent long-term rainfall forecast seems to be enough for the market just to largely ignore at the moment what's going on with global prices. So last time we checked on the 90CL frozen cow indicator, which is the benchmark for export prices, it was around 750 cents in Aussie dollar terms. So that really puts the Eastern Young Cattle Indicator at a premium to the export price. So we've seen that happen in the past, um, and I guess it's a little bit of a, a warning for our cattle markets here. What are you seeing? Yeah, it does hap- tend to happen that we see the domestic values here surge above the what, what would be the global price after we come off drought and see a lot of rainfall as the supply situation gets really tight in Australia. But a lot of it at the moment as well is that, you remember in April and May, we had uh, the US, a lot of their processing plants were shut down because of COVID outbreaks. And so that created a big backlog in the system of cattle to be processed. And during that time, the US choice cutout price rose 81%. So their value surged there. But now in the last three weeks, they're getting back to normal production capacity and we've seen the choice cut out fall back down 27% and, you know, probably has further to go as well. So that's what's flowing through to see our export beef value decline in recent weeks and where they're coming under pressure. And certainly as the US keeps ramping up exports and of that grain-fed beef as well into some of our key markets, then we might start to see it flow through as well here. Yes, it almost looks um, like we're we're in a little bit of a lucky position though, because we've got uh, you know it's seasonally low uh, slaughter supply. That just happens at this time of the year through the winter. Uh, we've got a low herd, and we've also got um, you know terrific seasonal conditions. So that's compensating, I suppose, a bit for the concern on global markets. Yeah, it's definitely creating a bit of a buffer there, which is lucky for cattle producers. But let's let's go on to grain, um, Rob. So on the grain comment this week, we talked a bit about the China-US trade numbers. So what's the backstory with that? Yes, well, I, I actually titled the article on Mercado Fact or Fiction, and I, I was tempted, Lib, to call it fake news, but I thought that was just being a little bit too <laughs> obvious. Um, but uh, what's interesting at the moment is that there's a whole lot of rhetoric that goes on that comes out in mainstream media about how China 
and uh, and the US, are, you know, one minute they're punching each other on the nose, the next minute they're writing new trade agreements. Um, it, it just seems so confusing if you just look at those uh, high uh, headlines. But uh, what was interesting was that the um, this this week the um, the export of soybeans to China was a record, and um, and there was also another figure that said that thirty nine percent of the record exports out of the US were to unknown destinations, and the speculation from the uh, traders was that that was also to China. So. We know that China has got a, a huge appetite. We also know that they're committed to um, a big uh, lift in exports out of the US. That was the deal that was struck in the phase one deal last year. And it just looks like they're, they're struggling a little bit to meet the the numbers now, but it tells us that they're probably going to ramp up in the, uh, in the next two quarters uh, as we run into the end of the year to try and get there. And what that means is that we're going to have strong demand for... Um, for those products, which which is going to, I guess, cause some gaps in the export markets in the rest of the world, where perhaps our wheat and barley and canola products can end up. So it's uh, yeah, um, it, it it continues to amaze that uh, you know the the politician headline number uh, stories tell us one thing, but then you look at the numbers, and uh, and it tells us another thing. And we saw that with Australian beef lib, didn't we? Where the um, the Chinese government um, banned four of our export works, and yet um, in that month the exports to China actually increased. Yeah, that's right. You know, the numbers numbers tell it all eventually. Um, but this time of year for grain markets as well, it's always the, the volatile season where we're really influenced by weather news overseas in particular. So has any of that been going on lately? Yes, or is it that, just that's the right. Or headlines that are stirring? Yes, well, the um, of course, farmers are, are classics at watching weather and, uh, and this time of the year the uh, we can have a number of influences. We can be looking at our local weather conditions and, and hoping for rain, uh, and we can be looking at what the impact is on overseas. Well, our local conditions are, are pretty good, and as we know, and um, so that's a relaxing element of the weather. Uh, but we also had um, a change in the weather report in the US, and it's just interesting for more rain, and it's just interesting to see how that drives markets. And it was sort of a a downward pressure on markets so they were forecasting that the um, the rain conditions were going to improve now it's interesting in how markets react because that's just a forecast so it's not even an actual rain and yet we're seeing it it uh, it move the markets around so i think um that that again is a bit like what we're talking about with the trade numbers uh, you need to dig into the um underneath the surface to find out what the real impact is going to be but at this time of the year, it is all about the weather, and that's what drives the market. Because you know, demand in in world commodity markets is fairly um, linear; it, it it tracks along a fairly straight line. Uh, then gets influenced by things like COVID, but it, it is fairly linear with population. The big change in agricultural commodities, though, is in supply, and of course, that's weather driven. So, live. Um, that's um, grains a little bit better story than wool. And, of course, beef was a much better story than wool. Uh, maybe next week we swap over and you can do some of the negative stuff and I'll look for a positive one. <laughs> uh, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> but, no, thanks for joining, Rob. Um, and thank you, listeners, for taking the time to listen to our podcast this week. 
as always, uh, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd really appreciate if you could share it around with your friends and family. So thanks for listening in and until next time, we'll see you then.